Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. series that we've called Neighbors uh, for three weeks counting today. Uh, I think as I have mentioned a couple of times, God uh, logically put us on this progression. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but when we started talking about being uh, more set apart to Jesus, uh, that even applies to what we're talking about because you and I uh, need to live more set apart lives to Christ because our neighbors are watching, uh, you know, people in the world are, are watching us. Uh, we, we talked about discipleship in a series after that, and uh, you and I need to be uh, better disciples because the world's watching, and we need to be the kind of disciples that make disciples of other people uh, too. And then that led us to this series about, about neighbors. Uh, what we've talked about so far, we kind of got a, a definition of, of love, what is love, and we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And then last week, we talked about uh, how do I love, and we looked in Galatians 5, and we kind of saw some things we need to avoid because we won't be very loving if we're living out those uh, uh, things of the flesh that are listed there. But on the other hand, you and I as believers, if we'll allow the fruits of the Spirit to impact our lives uh, in the correct way, then then that will help us to be uh, more loving toward our neighbors and position us to where we can do that. Today I want to talk about who do I love and then next week uh, when do I love. So um, you probably already know the answer to who uh, you're supposed to love because the name of the series is what? Neighbors. Neighbors. Uh, But what's meant by that? And before I kind of revisit that definition of the word neighbors, I want you to stand with me and let's read something that Jesus said together. So if you would stand just for a minute in uh, honor of uh, the words of Jesus here. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 31, here's what Jesus said. Are you ready to read it? Ready? One, two, three. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you, guys. Be seated. The word for neighbor, as we have established in this series, means more than just the person that happens to have a house beside your house on whichever side it might be. Uh, It means near, so it includes them. But it also more or less means anybody in your pathway, anybody that you encounter in life is someone that you need to view as a neighbor and to try and love as a neighbor. (laughs) Instead of just thinking, well, it's only this person or that person. I think we've got a tendency, maybe not intentional sometimes, but man, regrettably, sometimes it may be intentional. I think we've got a tendency sometimes to think, well, I I can love people who are like me, you know. I can love people that have the same hobbies that I have, or I can love people that 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 look like me, or, or have the same focus uh, that I have in, in my life. Uh, I can love people who uh, uh, who who are not messy, you know, as far as their life being messed up. You know, they've kind of got their life all together, and and that's pretty easy for me to. To, to love people because they, they don't have a difficult life. But you see, when we start thinking about the New Testament definition of love for us as believers, we don't get to pick and choose. 
We're not supposed to say, well, I'm sure I'll love that person. After all, they're a lot like me. This person over here is different. It might be racially different. It may, may be, you know, their practices or whatever is just so different that you think you, you don't need to, uh, to love them. <clears throat> Maybe you think you'll love people when it's convenient. But I found this out, and I think probably a lot of you have too. Loving people interrupt your schedule sometimes. Amen? <clears throat> if, if we're going to take time to, to love them. And it will get our hands dirty. It can be messy. It can be difficult sometimes. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And the story there is the story that Jesus told uh, about the Good Samaritan. Probably everyone here, you ever heard the Good Samaritan before? The, the story there? But I think there's some, uh, some good answers, some good truths we can draw from this that can help us answer this question about who do I love. The um, underlying idea, the big idea is this. Our flesh can lead us to do what I talked about a moment ago. Our flesh can lead us to pick and choose who we love. Our our flesh can lead us to try and make those types of of choices, who we consider as our neighbor, who we're going to love, when the truth is God clearly called us to love anyone without exception. And, And I think we'll see that in this story today. If you're following along in the uh, uh, bulletin, if you're writing down the, the notes in your updates, here's, here's the first thing we're going to talk about this morning. <clears throat> the awareness of who you should love is not enough. Now, what I mean by that statement, you just knowing you're supposed to love your neighbor is not enough. You just saying, well, Jesus said, and I know this, Jesus said, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as yourself. So I know that, and you only know it, and you don't do it, it's not enough. Just to have this awareness that Jesus expects us, that the Bible tells us to love our, our, our neighbors. In the first part of this story, there, there's this young lawyer that comes up to Jesus. And a, a lawyer in that day and time... Uh, what it's mainly referring to is, is like an expert in the law, the expert in, in doctrine and theology, so to speak. I have a hard time talking about lawyers because I'm an ex-cop, okay? Some of you guys agree with me about that? See, I've got, I've got some people who want to say amen this morning on the back. <clears throat> and behold, a lawyer stood up. But look at his motive, <clears throat> To put him, talking about Jesus, to put him to the test. Not that he's really interested in the answer and what the discussion is going to be. He's wanting to put Jesus to the test. And here's what he says to Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I love the way Jesus would do this. A lot of times someone asks Jesus a question, he'd throw it back to them. And say, well, what do you think? By the way, that's a a smart practice even in your own life, especially maybe if you're trying to share the gospel with someone. Someone comes up talking to you about doctrinal questions, theological questions, salvation. You know, stop and ask them what they think because if they'll tell you what they think, that'll let you know a little bit more how you need to approach them with what you're going to say. Doesn't change what the truth is, but it helps you understand maybe how you can respond to them in a way that can reach them. So Jesus said, 
What's written in the law? How do you read it? And here's what this young lawyer answered. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor is yourself. So he pretty much nails this. Because Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, now we get a picture inside the lawyer's heart, what's really going on. But he, desiring to justify himself, he's looking for an out. He's not loving all of his neighbors. He might be loving some live close to him. He might be loving other lawyers or whatever, but he's not loving all of his neighbors. He's trying to justify himself. And he said to Jesus, and, and who's my neighbor? Looking for some out, you know, kind of from, from the truth that, that he just that he just shared. I want you to notice a couple of main things in those verses. First one is this. Mere theological arguments or debates benefit no one. Just, you know, and, and you see, that seems to be what's taking place. The lawyer asked Jesus, what? is the most important law, more or less. But he, he, the way he's phrased in this story is, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? But he asked him trying to test Jesus. Let's see what he says. Let's see what he knows. And it's more like he's trying to maybe have an occasion against Jesus. He, maybe he was hoping he could have have something to debate him about. Because he stands up and he's trying to put Jesus to the test and he, and he asks him that really important question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? But him just kind of having this desire to test or have this theological debate or argument, whatever he might have been seeking to, to ensue in that moment, just arguing theology and doctrine doesn't help anybody. It doesn't benefit anyone. That's kind of a real concern I have. That's the reason I prayed a moment ago. Because sometimes when people let their uh, emotions kick in gear more than their Christian compassion and things like that, you know, things will be said in ways that it shouldn't be said. And you can get in this big theological debate. We can do it as a denomination. You, you know, some churches can do it as a church. Although most of the time the trouble churches have over stupid stuff, not doctrines, what I've seen uh, over the years. But you can do it as a church or you can do it in your own individual life. But, it, but if, if really all you're trying to do is argue about theology and, and you're just trying to test the waters and see how much somebody knows, what does that help? Who does that help? How, how, how does that really help anyone? How does that benefit anyone whatsoever? This lawyer had the correct theological stance. We will see Jesus said that he did here in just a moment. We'll get into it a little bit deeper. But, but the main lesson for us to learn here is this, I think. The main lesson for us to learn, and, and it's an important lesson for us, is you and I knowing the correct theological stance is not enough without actions. It's not enough just to know 
the truth. No one benefits when all we can do is argue or debate theology without living out the theological truth we know in our lives. If all we know it and we, it is, is there and we never apply it, what benefit is it to anyone whatsoever? So, second thing I want you to see from this part of the, the story this morning is this. Having the correct, and it kind of goes along with what I just said, having the correct doctrinal truth without acting upon it benefits no one. Jesus said, well, you tell me how you read it. Tell me yourself what the Bible says. And he answered it exactly correctly. Man, he nailed it. He, he says exactly what the Bible says. He, he says, well, you, you need to love God with all that you are, more or less what he says there, with, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all, all your mind, love God with all that you are, and love your neighbors yourself. Jesus even called that the, the second greatest commandment, is to love your neighbors yourself. So what he says here is exactly true. He nails it theologically, but just because he nails it theologically doesn't mean it's helpful. Unless he's trying to apply it. In his life. Jesus even said, you've answered correctly. But then Jesus says something here that might twist you up and some people misunderstand. Jesus said, do this and you shall live. Jesus is not saying, well, if you obey this law or these two laws, if you love God and you love your neighbor, that means somehow you're working your way and gaining your entrance into heaven, into eternal life. See, here, here's something you need to always practice in your life. If you get something over here that, that confuses you a little bit doctrinally and, and, and you think, well, that sounds different, what you have to do is interpret that against the whole body of truth, what the rest of the Bible has to say. You get in trouble when you lift it up by itself. See, Jesus isn't teaching him you can be saved by obeying this. Because I could read abundant passages of Scripture, but I'm just going to read one in Romans that, that proves that. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No one can be justified before God, be made just like they've never sinned, by obeying the law. And here's why. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. See, the reason Jesus points this lawyer back to the law is that the law convicts us. The law shows us our need of salvation. The, the law shows us our need of forgiveness. The law shows us our need of grace. That's why he's pointing him back to the law. But think about it in this term also. If you really love God with all that you are, and you love your neighbor yourself, but especially if you really love God with all that you are, that means this, you're going to listen to what God says. You're going to listen when God says you're a sinner. You're going to listen when God says you need forgiveness. You're going to listen when God says you need grace. You're going to listen when God says you need to be saved. You're going to listen when God tells you, I love you so much, I put my son on a cross for you. That's why Jesus points him back. He's not pointing him back to where he can try and be saved by obeying the law. But then we get this picture, as I said a moment ago, of the heart of this lawyer in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my brother? Read between the lines. 
Especially when you consider this in a few minutes when we talk about the story that Jesus tells him. Who's Jesus? God in the flesh. Jesus knew what was in this man's heart. He knew what his intentions are. Jesus points out what his intentions are when he tells a story that we'll look at for the rest of the message here in a moment. See, what this young lawyer is trying to do is find it out. He's trying to limit his obligation to love everybody. He just wants to kind of limit it down to where he only has to maybe love people like him. He'll love people that, that maybe live really close to him. Maybe he was doing a good job of that, but he wasn't loving everybody. And you can pick that out from what Jesus tells him here in a few moments. So the important lesson for us to learn from this part of the story this morning is simply this. Having the right doctrinal truth concerning loving others benefits no one unless you are actively loving others. Kind of reminds me of James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now, a lot of people really get tripped up by James and they'll start reading James and they'll think, well, is he saying that you can be saved by works? Look, look how the ESV puts this. Can that type of faith save him? Can the type of faith that only has faith and does not have any evidence that is real by the way they love other people, serve other people, serve God, serve Jesus? He's saying, can that type of faith save him? James goes on and says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled. So you, you know someone is starving, you know someone's really hungry, you, you know they're cold because they don't have any clothing, they're kind of freezing to death, and, and that's who they are, and, and, and you just kind of say, well, bless your heart, you know? I'm really concerned for you. I'm sorry about what you're going through. You, you go be filled and, 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 and you know, you go be warm and, and, and you just go on and have peace in your life. And you do nothing to help them at their point of need. He's saying, what good is it? Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So also, that type of faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. It's dead because it doesn't benefit anyone whatsoever. So the first thing we need to learn as we try and get into this important story of the Good Samaritan is, is that just knowing it, just knowing who you're supposed to love doesn't do anybody any good if you're not doing it. Second thing I want you to see from this story is this. There are people in our pathways that are in desperate need of love. Jesus replied, after this lawyer asked a question, well, who, who is it I'm, I'm supposed to love? He's really my neighbor. He said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That more than likely means he's a Jew. We're not told that he's a Jew, but that's the way most scholars read that. He's going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It's about a 17-mile journey. It, it descends 3,000 feet as you're on the, the, the road there. And it was a dangerous road to be on. There, there are a lot of thieves and robbers and things that would hide out because it was a main thoroughway and they would look for people to rob. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half for dead. Not only did they take 
his possessions, they, they took his clothes away from him. Maybe they thought they killed him, but they severely beat him and they, and they leave him laying there on the road dying. So Jesus is responding to this question about who's my neighbor to this lawyer by telling this story that's going to confront this lawyer, this Jewish lawyer with some truth he really don't want to have to face in a few minutes. But the main point I want you to see right now is that this man is beaten, laying there in the road. They've almost killed him. Jesus has given us a picture of somebody in desperate need. Jesus has given us a picture of someone laying on a pathway where other people are going to be walking by. And our main lesson from this part of the story is simply this. We ourselves will come across people on our pathways in life who are in desperate need of love. We're going to come across people in in our lives that are in need of extreme, extreme compassion in ministry. As we walk through life, we'll have people in our pathways who are desperately, desperately, desperately needing love. Oh, it may not be the same scenario. They may not be laying there bleeding, but there are people that we run into all the time in our lives to where someone has been stripped naked emotionally by the world. They, they've been beaten up by the world. And, and you know, if, if, we, if we listen, we'll get a sense of that. We need to understand, as you and I live our lives, folks, there are people in our pathways that have been placed in our pathways, probably even intentionally by God, for us to love, for us to reach out to and minister to. And, and they don't have to be just like us. And, and, and yes, it, it may require getting your hands dirty. It, it may require an interruption to your schedule, but there are people placed in our pathways who have been severely beaten up by life that we're going to encounter. And they're kind of laying there, living their lives as though they're half dead because they've had so much extracted from them by the world. The question is this. Will we respond to their need for love or, if we, or are we just going to pass by? That we're going to see happens in the rest of the story. Third thing this morning I want you to get is this. <clears throat> there is no room. I'm talking about Christian love. I'm not talking about just the world out here. There's plenty of room for it in the world. There's no room for indifference, for bias, for favoritism, or for prejudice when it comes to loving others. There should be absolutely no room for that in our lives as believers. For us to have indifference, bias, favoritism, or prejudice when it comes to loving others. This story that Jesus is about to finish up with, he knew the heart of this lawyer. He's telling this story with intent. He knows the issues in this lawyer's heart. He understands he's trying to find a way out from having to love anyone that he encounters, no matter who they are. And that's why Jesus tells this story. And it's a pretty devastating story for someone that was a, 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 a Jewish expert in the law. Two main things here. Religious titles mean nothing without active compassion. Religious titles mean absolutely nothing 
without compassion. Without active compassion. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Let's deal with these two characters that we have before us. Thankfully, there's a third character that God sends along. The first one's a priest. He's a religious professional in his day. He, he was the one that would, would be there doing the sacrifices at, at the temple and, and helping carry on all the, all the religious festivities and everything that would take place there. He's going down the same road. It says from Jerusalem on his way down to Jericho. So that means this, that means more than likely he had finished his tour of duty at the temple. The, the priesthood was kind of divided up, and you'd have this group go and serve in the temple for a period of time, and then they'd go home, and, and they wouldn't come back for you know some time. And, and there's a second group that would come, and they would have the obligation and responsibility to be there in the temple serving, and then, and then they would leave. So since this man is going down from Jerusalem, he has probably finished his tour of duty. And more than likely, he's headed home. We're not told that. We don't know exactly what he is doing, but we do know this. For some reason, he was just too busy or too disinterested or too scared or whatever it might have been to get involved with this man lying in the middle of the road, half to death, dying. Some people will make excuses for him. As you read backgrounds here, some people say, well, maybe he didn't want to go over because he thought the man was already dead and a priest isn't supposed to touch a dead corpse because if a priest touches a dead corpse, that means he's unclean and then he can't minister until he goes through the cleansing process. But you see, that argument doesn't work here and here's why it doesn't work. He's going from Jerusalem away from the temple. He's not going to have to go back for a while. Cleansing was not an issue. Maybe he's concerned for other reasons. Maybe he's thinking, man, whoever did that to him, I still be hiding out here. And, and, and I think I better just hurry up and, and move on and, and, and get beyond this. Maybe he's just too busy. Maybe he thought, man, I've been serving for a long time. I want to get home and see my family. I don't have time for this. Maybe he thought it'd be too difficult. Require too much time. He, he didn't want to get his, get his hands dirty. He didn't want to get involved. Well, whatever the reason is, his title of being a priest means absolutely nothing at this point in time to that man that's laying in the road dying. Talk about the Levite just for a minute, because it's kind of the same scenario. The Levite would have been an assistant to the priest. That's what the Levites did, and, and they were assistants there but to be a priest, you had to be from the tribe of Levi also, but, but he had not attained being in the priesthood yet, so he's, he's, he's a Levite. Maybe that's a problem. Maybe he learned his actions that we see right here from the priest to start with. 
But he's also a religious professional. And once again, this, this man's been beaten up, everything taken away from him. He's laying there in the middle of the road, and he just walks by. And what this dying man needed, beaten up, left there, all of his possessions taken away, needed at that point was for anyone. It didn't matter whether it was a priest or a Levite. He needed for anyone to have some compassion and love for him and what he was facing. Religious titles. Well, that act of compassion mean nothing. Bring it up to today. An evangelist on TV, a pastor, pastor of a church, deacon of a church, or just John Q. Public Christian. None of those titles mean anything without us having active compassion in our hearts. They mean absolutely nothing unless we have active compassion in our hearts. Which brings us to this failure to love on their behalf. They pass by on the other side. It's kind of an interesting word that's used there, phrase. It means to go along opposite. The, the root word actually means opposite, instead of. What was expected would be to come near or to come beside or approach someone, but instead they neglect this person that's laying in the middle of the road. You see, common human decency would dictate, uh, hopefully to us, if we see someone laying in the middle of the road and they've been beaten up and left for dead, surely common human decency would mean we need to do something to help them. But what was expected, especially of a priest and a Levite, would have been that they would do something to help this person that's lying there in the road. Let me give you some biblical teeth to that, where you understand why I'm saying that. Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34. When a stranger, and once again, most theologians believe the guy that's been beaten up in the middle of the road was probably Jewish. Because if not, it loses the teeth of what Jesus is saying here. We'll see a Samaritan come along in a few minutes. There's not another Samaritan that would lose the teeth of the point that Jesus is making. So what it doesn't say he's a Jew, the fact that Jesus tells a story the way he does really, really implies it was a Jew. But here in Leviticus, it's not talking about another Jew. It's not talking about part of God's people. It's talking about a stranger. When when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. And and then God kind of makes it clear. He, He says, I am the Lord your God. In other words, this isn't optional. This is the way I expect you to behave. Even if it's a stranger in your midst who's not part of the Jews, I still expect you to treat them just like they were part of the Jews. That's God's expectation. Look at Micah for a moment. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Was that justice walking by this man? To do justice, to love kindness? Was that kindness leaving this man laying in the road dying? And to walk humbly with your God. 
Exodus 23, verse 4 and 5. Catch this. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, he's talking about an animal that belongs to your enemy. You shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under his burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. In other words, he's saying you're helping the animal. You're helping the owner of the animal. Even though it's someone that hates your guts, God is saying you're supposed to minister to him. But that's not the scenario we have in this story. The scenario is a Jew coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho is beaten left in the middle of the road. A priest walks by, a Levite walks by. God would have had an expectation for them to have done something and they do nothing. They just kind of walk a wide path on the other side of the road. I don't want to get involved. Don't have time. Somebody else might do the same thing to me, whatever. I don't want to get involved. So while religious titles mean nothing without active compassion, I want you to notice now that indifference, bias, favoritism, or prejudice mean nothing when there is active compassion. It's going to be a Samaritan on the scene now. Just because he's a Samaritan and he's hated by the Jews and he knows there's bias against him, he knows that there's racism against him, he understands that there's favoritism toward other Jews but not toward him, he understands there's bias toward him, but because he had compassion in his heart, it didn't matter about all this other stuff. Read what he did. But a Samaritan, not a Jew, background to the Samaritans. They, they were people who stayed there during the captivity. They weren't carried off the captivity and they're intermarried. And that's why all the Jews looked down upon them. They hated them. When Jesus went through Samaria and talked to the woman at the well, his disciples were shocked that he would want to go that way. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, this man lying in the road. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wings, poured on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then we'll kind of answer this right at the end of the message. But then Jesus looks at this lawyer. And he said, which of these three do you think provided or proved rather to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? I guarantee you this lawyer's thinking, I do not want to answer that question. And one reason I say that, I want you to look how he answered the question. He refused to say the word Samaritan. (laughs) Instead, he says this, the one who showed him mercy. He kind of even sidestepped the issue. I don't want to say Samaritan. I don't want to say it's a Samaritan. I'm just going to say it was the one that showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Indifference, bias, favoritism, 
prejudice mean nothing when there is active compassion. By walking through some of the words quickly, you'll understand that. The word for Saul, when it says the Samaritan saw him, it meant to see and to know. He, he was taking time to pay attention. He was looking at what had happened. He wasn't just giving it a glance and going on. He, he saw and he, and, he, and he knew and he had compassion. The, the word for compassion that's used here means to have the bowels yearn. Now, we don't understand that in our culture. If I had come up to Becky and we were dating in high school or before we started dating and I said my bowels yearn for me, I doubt if I'd be married right now to her. <laughs> Lynn and Angie just celebrated an anniversary. If Lynn had come up and said my bowels yearn for you, I don't know, I saw on Facebook that they're celebrating an anniversary. If you walk up to me and, you know, trying to, you know, let me know you love me and appreciate me and you come up and your bowels are growling and you say, this proves that I love you, that I care for you, I wouldn't know what to think. <laughs> but you see, in the Jewish way of thought, the Hebrew way of thought, they think of the midsection like we think of the heart. So it's really talking about feeling sympathy or, or pity. So maybe the Samaritan, he's walking by, he, he looks over here and he thinks, Man, that could be me. That's a good thing to remind ourselves of. And you see people that have been beaten up by the world and they're in need of ministry. And, and instead of us just kind of looking down upon them and judging them, we need to remind ourselves, except for the grace of God, that might be me. I could be in that scenario. I could be in that situation if it were not for God's grace and his mercy. But he, but he has sympathy and pity and, and he goes over to him. He, he actually comes over near him. He doesn't stand and assess the thing from a distance. He comes and he approaches and gets near him. And he, and he deals with his, with his trauma. That's what the Greek word is, where we get our, our English word, with his wounds. And, and he took care of him. And, and look what it means to take care of. To be over, to be upon, to be of interest, to show concern. In other words, it matters. He, he didn't try and stay a distance and say, well, if I can help you in some way, let me know. I'm, I'm busy right now. I'm going to keep going. No, he comes over and he, and, he, and he gets leaning over this hurt man. And, and he's doing what he can to help him because it matters. He, he put him on his own donkey and he walks while this injured man rides. And he takes him to an inn. And he takes him to the inn. And while he's there at the inn, he cares for him. Sounds like he cares for him all night. He's over him, taking care of him. And the next day, he pulls two denarii out of his pocket, and that doesn't mean anything to us until you understand that it means it's about two days' wages. So here's somebody he did not know that he just met that's laying there on the street, and he gives two days' wages to have this man taken care of in his absence. He tells the innkeeper, you care for him. You make it important to you. You be over him like I've been over him. You be ministering to him like I've been overnight. You do that, and then whenever I come back, whatever else I owe, I'll pay you more. That's the story of the Samaritan that would have been hated by the Jews. Who there would be no logical reason or expectation upon him to do what he did. Except for this. Real love and compassion, it doesn't matter whether it's logical or not. Real love and compassion can be very illogical sometimes, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. And it doesn't mean it's something that we ought to avoid. 
Some of you may think, why do you all do celebrate recovery on Friday nights? I mean, it's kind of illogical because you're, 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 these people have these issues and, and everything like that. It's not illogical at all if you think that you love them. be a whole lot easier for Mike and some of our other volunteers to do something different with their Friday nights. And here lately, I've not got to be there like I want to be there. I'm just using that for an illustration. It may be an illustration you need to hear. But it can be very messy dealing with people's lives and things like Celebrate Recovery. But it doesn't matter if it's messy if God tells you to do it. If that person's in your pathway... And that person's the, your neighbor in that instant because they're, they're there in your pathway. It, it would be very logical just to do what God tells you to do and, and love them. But the, but the people re- reading this story and hearing this story, especially, especially to the Jews, they'd be thinking, that's wrong. That, that we, we wouldn't want a Samaritan helping us and dealing with us. And the Samaritan, from his viewpoint, would, would think, man, the way the Jews have treated me, the way they've been toward me uh, all of my life, and, and, and the rest of the Samaritans all my life, I, I'm not going to stop and help him. That, that would have been the, the, the human mindset. But instead, this Samaritan stops to help someone that would have been considered his enemy, who's been beaten up, left their line for dead, Stripped of everything that he owns. And he comes up and he ministers to him and he, and, and he cares for him. And it wasn't another Samaritan. It wasn't a fellow Samaritan, I don't think, or Jesus wouldn't tell the story. I think it was a Jew. And it's not logical until you factor in the compassion that God expects us to have in our lives. The Samaritan saw a man that could be him. He had this feeling in his heart, this, this thing stuck in his gut. He had sympathy and he couldn't keep walking. So he draws near to this man, this unexpected neighbor. He wasn't expecting this, wasn't looking for it. This unexpected interruption of his schedule, this unexpected neighbor is placed right before him. And he takes time to love on him, to minister to him, to care for him, to be sure that he is cared for. In this moment of drastically needed ministry, the one given the ministry could care less about his race. He could care less about the bias that existed. He could care less about favoritism. He refused to be indifferent. Instead, he saw another man that could be himself, and he took action to show compassion, active compassion toward this man. It didn't matter to him who he was. See, real Christian ministry, real Christian love coming from us, guys, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if their skin color is different. It doesn't matter if their lifestyle is different. It doesn't matter if they're like us or not like us. God still expects us to love them. That doesn't mean you have to approve everything that they do, but how are you ever going to try and convince them to trust the same Jesus that we've trusted unless we authentically love them? And just maybe they'll open up a door into their heart. Think about the flip side of it for a moment. The flip side of it is this robbed, naked, beaten, dying man could care less that it was a Samaritan instead of a fellow Jew that was taking care of his needs. Now, we're not told that he was conscious and he was aware. I, I, I don't know, but, but for the sake of me making an extreme point, consider that. 
He's there, stripped naked, lying in the road. In the process of dying, this Samaritan comes over. And can you imagine this guy saying, wait, wait, wait. Before you help me, I need to ask a question. Are you a Jew or are you a Samaritan? Can can you imagine being in an automobile wreck and you're bleeding, you're in the process of dying, and the first person that comes over to check on you after your wreck is a black man? Are you going to say, nope, 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 I I don't want you calling 911 for me? Let me stop and meddle just a minute. I hope I'm not severely messing with your mindset in your life today. If I am, I'm not going to apologize for it because there's no room for racism in Christianity and the Christian faith. You may not know a lot of history about our church if you're sitting here with that type of attitude because our sponsoring church that pretty much for almost three years sent us $1,000 a month was an African-American church in Charlotte that a good friend of mine pastored before he died a few years ago. And that I know of, we're the only Anglo church in the state of North Carolina that was sponsored, predominantly Anglo church, that was sponsored by a predominantly black church. Only one I know of that we know of in the state. And I wear that badge proudly, guys. The first location, the Nations Forward Community Church, built a church in Charlotte. Not where they are now, they still own the first location. Can you guess who owned the first location? The grand dragon of the KKK in the state of North Carolina. Sound like a God thing to me. They built a church on, African American church on the land that used to own. There's no room for that type of indifference, for bias, for favoritism, for, for, for racism in Christian ministry. He could have cared less that it was a Samaritan that was caring for him. He was just receiving what he needed from another human being. And those of us that name the name of Christ above anyone else on this planet, people ought to be able to expect that type of active compassion and love from us. Because we say that we believe in Jesus. Here's the main point of the story. Main point of the story is that we are to love whoever we encounter in life. Here's a newsflash. Everybody's not like you. Everybody in your own home is not completely like you. Everybody doesn't have the same likes and dislikes and the same attitudes that you have. We are called upon to love whoever we encounter in life. It doesn't matter who they are racially or socially. It doesn't matter if they're like us or very different than us. It doesn't matter how much our schedules are interrupted. It doesn't matter how dirty we get our hands or how much it costs us. God calls us to love others. And that's the point that Jesus is making in this story. But pastor, you don't understand my schedule. You don't understand how busy I am. And you don't understand how difficult it is for me to minister to some people. You don't understand how hard it is for me to relate to people that aren't like me. I may not, but God does. You tell God it's hard for you to relate to people that aren't like you when he sent his son, who is not like any of us, into this world to rescue us from our sin. You tell God you don't have time because of your busy schedule to try and help love somebody else, to try and minister to somebody else in their point of need. 
You tell God you don't have time to do it. When God had time to send his son from the portals of glory into this world to be beaten, abused, and die in your place on the cross. God took time to love us with the greatest love that's ever existed. In this story, you want to know how important this story has been in our culture across the world. There are organizations all across this planet that use the name Samaritan in the name of their ministry. What's the most famous one for us? Samaritan's purse. That's why you've got an opportunity every time you go shopping to buy some items to bring and put in the box out there so we can pack more boxes than we ever have this fall to send off to kids across this world. That's your opportunity to love them. Don't walk by that box every week like it's someone laying in the road. You pay attention to that box and you realize there are items that you can bring and put in that box and it can help us minister to people. That's just a little part of what Samaritan's Purse does, Operation Christmas Child. But we get a picture in their ministry of what it means to love others. And that's what God calls us to do as believers. After telling this dramatic story, and one this lawyer didn't want to hear, one that would have shocked any Jews that were standing by hearing this story, because they didn't want to hear about a priest walking by or a Levite walking by. And especially they didn't want to hear about a Samaritan doing something that the priest and the Levite refused to do. After telling this dramatic story, Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the man couldn't have me. What else could he say? Really? He said, the one who showed mercy, the one who made mercy, the one that made compassion, displayed compassion. It means active compassion. It means accompaniment with somebody, being amid with someone in their, in their troubles, the one that showed mercy. And then Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You travel in your life. You traverse. You travel. You, you move around in your life. You depart in your life. You journey in your life. You walk in your life. With the idea of, of, of passing this test in your life. To, it has the idea of piercing or a test. You go in your life and you do similar in appearance or character to what I just told you in this story of this good Samaritan. And here's a literal translation of it. When you read the tenses of it in the Greek, what Jesus said. Literally, Jesus said, go and keep on doing it likewise. Preacher, 10 years ago, I, I, I helped somebody like that. What you done in the last 10 years? Well, last week I took, well, what you going to do next week? What you going to do the next time it's presented? Because Jesus says it's not a done deal just for you to do it every now and then. We're to live our lives. We're to go and keep on doing likewise of what this Samaritan did to show active love and compassion toward others. Who is it that we're to love? Whoever it is that we encounter. Whoever it is that God puts in our path. And what Jesus said to this lawyer in the story expresses the will of God. 
And what is said in this story is God's will for your life and for my life. We're to keep going. We're to keep doing likewise. The question is whether you will in your life, as you live your life, as you walk the pathways of your life, the roads of your life, are you going to just depend upon the title Christian or are you going to act like it and prove it by loving other people? We get ready to have the invitation this morning. There's some baskets uh, at three different locations here along the front. Inside these baskets, there's uh, some small pads of sticky notes. This is not for you to take home and put your grocery list on. More important list than that. During the invitation, I challenge each of you to come and take one of these pads. And I want you to go home and I want you to reflect upon the neighbors you have in your life. Not just the people living either side of you, but they're included in it. And I want, to, I want you to write their name down. And I want you to put it on the refrigerator and other conspicuous places. And I want you to allow this to be a reminder for you to pray for your neighbors. Not just pray for them, but to figure out how you can love them. For you to be enough involved in their lives to know whether they're a Christian or not and ask God to help you love them in a way that you'll love them to Jesus. And it's not just the people that live in your development or on either side of the road. There's, there's enough in this pad. And if you can't afford to go buy you a new pad later, I'll buy you one if you'll come tell me, if you run this one out. As you go to work, as you go shopping, as you just live your life, as you go to school, you're going to encounter new neighbors. And if you'll listen and be sensitive, you can figure out some things that's going on in their lives. Write down their name. If you don't know their name, write down a description of where you can remember who they are and pray for them. And put these wherever you'll be reminded, on your computer screen, wherever. Father, forgive us for the times we've walked past people instead of taking time to be engaged in their lives. Father, all of us, as we live our lives, you, you're allowing us to, to come across people, to experience people that have been beaten up by the world. They've been stripped emotionally by the world. They, they, they're living almost like they're just half alive because of all the circumstances they've faced. Father, help us to, to show real active compassion to whoever you bring in our path. Forgive us for times we've showed favoritism or, or bias or, or indifference toward someone. Father, forgive us for times we've allowed race to matter. Father, help us to see that you sent your son to die for all because you love all and you want to provide a way of forgiveness for all. So, Father, help us to love all. Especially with the goal of them coming to Christ. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. 
Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.